It's our prayer, Father, that there would be nothing routine for any of us this morning, that we wouldn't just do what we do on Sundays, but that we would gather and we ask that the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon us today would come upon us as individuals, would come upon us as Lake Avenue Church in such a way that there'd be no denying that you are alive and well in this world you've created and in this, your church. And we offer this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. morning. Hope you are doing well today. It was a tough day for Los Angeles College football fans yesterday. I'm working on not talking about anything in detail like that, but it was a a late night and a sad ending for my world. But I have a question for you very briefly. Do you know the proper way to fold a bath towel? I thought I did. I got married at 25 years old and up until the day we got married, I was pretty certain that the way that I was taught and trained to fold a bath towel was the correct way. And then something happened suddenly when I got married where I found there was a different way, a different way of folding a bath towel. And this was one of the first real tensions in our marriage, believe it or not. And upon negotiating and figuring out that sometimes you can fold it three different folds or two different folds, I'll just let you know I I lost. And (laughs) now fold the towels the way that Jenny has taught me to fold the towels. But for 25 years, I did it a certain way. In fact, uh, I still struggle sometimes. It's just second nature to fold it the way I was trained. And then I look at my children and go, we're starting something new with this generation because they don't seem to fold them at all. They just throw them. <laughs> but, but here's the point. For 25 years, one way of doing something becomes kind of the way it's done. And then suddenly, right, then suddenly I get married and I find there's a different way of doing the same thing. In the text we have today, there's something so much more profound happening than just folding a towel, but the same idea is very present. The story we're going to read in the book of Acts is this, and I'll give it away at the beginning, the title of our sermon, The New Way Church is to be Done. Up until this point, The people of God had a very specific way of gathering in worship. Up until this point, the people of God had a very defined and clear way that God instructed them to have relationship with him. And in the second chapter of Acts, suddenly something changes. And there's a whole new way of kind of doing the same thing of worshiping God, of connecting with God, and it is profound, and it is a change, and it is a change that I pray that we live into every day, but the truth of the matter is, even though we were never alive in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, the instincts that we have as human beings look much more like Old Testament tendencies than they do New Testament tendencies, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? We will be in Acts chapter 2. For those of us who are church folk, you have heard this 
said and spoken and preached on so many times, and my prayer is that something new would come to you through the power of the Spirit today. For those of you who've never heard this story, get ready. This is a ride, and this is really the essence in some ways um, of who we are trying to be, who we're trying to be at Lake Avenue Church. So, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Lamanites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phygra, Philebia, Egypt, and all parts of Libya are near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord. That was, it's all a setup. Now just raise your hand if you had too much wine this weekend. And then your answer is, no, it's the spirits on me, okay? I'm okay. We've got to, this is profound text. We're going to get there in a moment. And this, in many ways, is that new way of folding the towel. But for us to understand the new way, we have to understand the old way. It's a little bit of context, a little bit of Old Testament, Old Covenant kind of understanding. Because to really appreciate the change that is happening in this story, we have to understand what the change is from. So stick with me for a moment. For those of you who are Bible scholars, I'm going to reduce down the Old Testament into three statements that are going to helpfully help us have some context for what's happening in Acts chapter 2. So the first statement I want us to understand, so the context, how was it that the people of God came to have relationship with God? How was it, until this moment that we've just read, how was it that the people of God uh, worshiped God? What did that seem like? What was that like? What are some themes from the Old Testament? The first one is this, is we have to recognize up until this point there are a chosen people. God chose one nation, one people group, that's Israel, And he set them apart from the rest of the world. And he said, you are my chosen people. You are my chosen nation. And I'm choosing you for a purpose. Not because I like you so much more than everybody else. But I'm choosing you because you and me, we're going to have this dynamic. We're going to have a relationship. And the way that we connect and have relationship will demonstrate to the rest of the world who I am as God. So for the purposes of demonstrating to the rest of the world who God is and how his ways are, he chose one particular group of people and he said, you and me, and everybody's gonna watch us. And what we're gonna do in this relationship is gonna show everybody else who I am and what my ways are like. So it's really important that we understand up until this point in the story, there is one particular group of people who has been chosen, set apart by God to be his 
special people, his chosen people. On top of that, I think it's important when we read the Old Testament, notice how often that God chooses individuals to do his work. Now, I know that's general, it's not specific, because oftentimes we can read and there were armies, and of course that was a lot of people who did the work, but throughout the Old Testament, we see time and time again, not just God choosing a people in Israel, but picking individuals to do something unique and special with. That's why we have all these names, like Moses, and David, and Ruth, and that one didn't fit Israel, but we can get to that another time. God used individuals in very specific ways throughout the Old Testament, and it's in his use of the individual within the chosen people of Israel where we see God's story advance, God's purposes advance. Very common for us to read the biblical text in the Old Testament and come across a hero of the faith, someone who God chose and set apart for a particular task or a particular mission, even down to the prophets, the names of the books we have in the Scripture, in the Old Testament. So we have a chosen people. We also have a God that has chosen to use individuals a lot in the Old Testament. And then finally, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament prior to this point, there was a very significant reality to the physical space, the physical building of worship. That's the temple. That, that the way God mapped it out with the Old Covenant was that there was this, this location for worship. There was this place where his presence dwelled with his people. And it was a very complicated kind of reality of how that temple was built and how people came to worship in that temple. We don't have time today, but one of the things, I, if, if, if I was still a high school pastor, I was tempted to do this, but I think you would leave in riot but when I was a high school pastor, we were teaching on the temple one time, and we set up the whole warehouse and split it by ethnicity and gender and age, so that when students came to church that morning, they would walk in and look for where they fit based on who they are, how old they are, and what gender they have, and that was very much the temple system. That there was particular places for men, for women, for, for Jewish men, for Jewish women, for people from other ethnicities, and, and, and the access of God even in that temple, and the, the, the level of the priest, and, and all these offerings. It was very complicated, very detailed, but it was really important because that's how God set up the worshiping relationship. So we have a chosen people. We have a God who chooses individuals within that people. And we have the significance of a building, of a place, of a physical location in the temple. This is the way that God's people connected with God for the, for the huge chunk of your Bible. This is just the realities, and you will see over and over and over again the struggle of God's people to be his chosen people, the struggle of individuals to be faithful to what God has called them to be, and the struggle for Israel to keep this temple a holy place, a sacred place, and the struggle for it when it gets torn down in war and rebuilt in exile. And I mean, a lot of the narrative around the Old Testament is around these realities because God is in the business of being worshiped and God is in the business of having relationship. And so the way that those things happened in the Old Testament was through the physical temple and through being the particular chosen group of people. 
And so for some context, for some background, there was one nation, one people group that was particularly special to the Lord. He used individuals often, and God had a temple, a physical place where people who wanted to worship him would come and do so. And this is the way it was done right up until the story we've just read. So with this in mind, let's jump back into the text, a text that many of us know really well, and ask ourselves the question, what is happening here? Now remember the series we're in. We're in the book of Acts for 10 weeks total, nine more weeks, and we're asking the question, um, this is us. What did this text teach us about who we are supposed to be in 2019? And to do that, we have to understand what's happening in the text when it was written. And so I want to point out three just observations from the text because often what happens with this text and the way I have come to this text is that it is a scene, isn't it? I mean, what is a tongue of fire coming out and resting upon each one? And the reality of the languages being spoken about, and we are going to get to that in a moment, but there are two very, very small observations, small details that often get quickly skipped to get to the drama of the scene. And the first observation I want us to see is this. I want you to notice the posture of prayer in verse 1. Now, you're going to read your Bible, and you're going to say, Jeff, my Bible doesn't say prayer. We've got to back up to chapter 1, verse 12. After Jesus has ascended, the apostles returned to Jerusalem. Verse 12, chapter 1. The apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Jesus has ascended. If you were with us last week, he has taught his apostles and those around him what his kingdom is like, to wait for the Spirit. He has now ascended into heaven, and they find themselves in this particular room, and they are praying. They are waiting. They are anticipating. And that very same room and that same posture is where we pick up the story in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, the same place they were in chapter 1. They were still together. They were still praying. The posture of the apostles and all that were in attendance. I think that detail in chapter one is really important. The women, the women were there too. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there too. That's a really important detail. And we find out that this group of people is in a posture of prayer. See, they had been with Jesus, they had learned from Jesus, they were learning about the kingdom, and they were told to wait until the Spirit came, and they weren't just waiting in the normal way, going about their normal life. They gathered together to pray, and notice where they're not doing this. They're not in the temple. They're not even near the temple, they're just in a room. And it's in this room that they are praying and waiting. 
Those who spent time with Jesus, heard his voice, sat under his teaching, wanted to leave out his ways, desired to be faithful, anticipating the Holy Spirit, had a posture of prayer, but I also want you to notice they had a collective, a communal posture of prayer. They were together. They were all together praying. They didn't wake up at 5 a.m. for their individual devotion with God and scattered throughout Jerusalem, did their separate praying. They came together and they had a combined, collective, communal posture of prayer. Now we could stop here for the sermon and camp out on what it means to be a communal group of people who come together to pray and to wait for the Spirit And we will talk about that, but that in and of itself is radical. And when we think about what is the difference, temple system, you are separated by your gender. We have a room where everybody's together praying. There's a a big change that is happening before even the Spirit has come. But let's go to the next observation. So notice the posture of prayer. Also, next, notice the sudden power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is the verse we love. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire and separated and came to rest on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I see Matt Wilson over here who works in, 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 in Hollywood, and I just think about this scene, how we could actually make this scene look pretty amazing right now. Somebody needs to do that. Tongues of fire that separate and rest, filling of the Holy Spirit, speaking in other languages, new languages that they had not known. They're just able to start declaring the wonders of God. And this is the gripping story of Acts 2, but there is a word that we rush by really quickly. And that word is suddenly. Suddenly. The Spirit of God comes when the Spirit of God wants. The Spirit of God doesn't work on their timeline. The Spirit of God can be anticipated for, but never controlled by human beings. I think this is an important point. This is a distinctive of being a follower of Jesus because you and I in our worship of our God, it's not about a a bunch of rules that we do and at the end of that we get the blessing and if we just follow these steps or pray these prayers or do these trips, then all of a sudden we have made it to a level of understanding of God. There is a dynamic for you and me in following Jesus where the sudden power of the Spirit is something that just happens. It's not something that we can control. The sudden power of God in this story, notice what it's for. Yes, it's to launch the church, but it's also to declare who God is So there's this connection between the sudden power of God coming on his people, and then if you continue, and I want you to this week, continue reading in chapter two, you will see that the result of the sudden power of God is that God gets proclaimed, people come to faith, and the church starts growing. So the sudden power of God isn't just something we summons when we need something. In this text, the sudden power of God comes upon his people when he's about ready to call people to himself. 
And if you follow Jesus for any amount of time, my prayer is that you understand how the sudden power of God comes upon our life and your life in a moment when you least expect it to do the kind of work you feel like you're least qualified for. Last year, I was coming back from school, and I got an Uber ride from from LAX back home, and I totally messed up and got the Uber carpool which saved me $7 but added 70 minutes to my life. (laughs) And we had already sat on the runway for like an hour, because that was great too. Like we're home and now, but my gate's not ready. And then I get in the car at midnight with three other people and we're going all over Los Angeles County. And I honestly, the last thing I had energy or desire to do was to talk about Jesus. And so my prayer was this, Lord, have nobody talk to me and ask me what I do for a living. I'm serious. And we didn't even get out of LAX before this guy next to me is starting to declare what he does, and I'm like, here it comes. I'm exhausted, week of school, this ride is gonna take me, I mean, I could have walked home quicker, (laughs) and here it comes. And guess what happened? The sudden power of the Holy Spirit came upon me And those 70 extra minutes were profound minutes of dialogue about who God is in this world and listening to other people. Because when the sudden power of God comes upon us, it's to fulfill his name and his purpose in this world. It takes us in our weary state. It takes us when we feel like we can't do the work of God and the sudden power of the Spirit comes on and empowers us to declare and to advance and to speak in languages and give words that we didn't even know we had. And I guarantee you on that ride, when I was talking to this guy who makes more money than probably all of us put together, I don't know why he needed the carpool, probably, <laughs> probably because he doesn't have any friends, quite honestly. <laughs> and I all of a sudden was empowered to speak CEO Jesus. I didn't know I could do that. And guess what? I can't but the sudden power of the Holy Spirit will empower us as a church and you as an individual to speak his name and his plan and his purposes when he wants you to. The sudden power of God. Now, I'm gonna meddle with us in a little bit, Lake Avenue, but notice this. We have a God of suddenly and not a God of scheduling. We'll come back to that later. Final observation I want you to see is notice the observation that this is a church of and for all people. I mean, you can read it. This is the biggest chunk of the text. Five to 12, I am not gonna read all those languages and countries again. But in the context of the old way, can we for a moment see what is happening here? I mean, we have old covenant reality, one people group, People groups divided from one another in the place of worship even. Israel, you're my chosen relationship. It's me and you. And when the Spirit suddenly comes upon the apostles, something profound happens. Now, before we get there, the day of Pentecost, why were they all there? The day of Pentecost, Jewish tradition, Jewish Jewish festival. It It was a feast held 50 days after Passover. It was the time to celebrate the first fruits of the harvest. This is gonna matter in a moment. So the first fruits of the harvest, they're all coming in to celebrate, to honor, to do this tradition. 
I don't even know if it was fully a spiritual tradition. I heard one, somebody say this week, it was more like Mardi Gras. It was just what you did. You came. And yes, you were offering first fruits, but it's connection to God that might have been varied. And also at this time of Pentecost was the, the Jewish tradition taught that this commemorated the day when God gave Israel the law. So we've got a first fruits reality of why everybody's gathered, and we also have this kind of festival where we're remembering that God gave us the law, establishing what? The old covenant, the way that God was gonna demonstrate to the world with Israel who he is, our special relationship. This is the day where we're coming together to remember who we are, and the Spirit of God descends on this group of people and they start speaking in different languages. It's profound and it's powerful. First, it's not happening in the temple. We know that when Jesus was, was killed, the, the veil, we read it this morning, the veil and temple was separated. That was symbolic of that, that, that thing's over. Now the Spirit comes in this room on this group of people and they start speaking in other languages, symbolizing what? That God has gone global. This is no longer for one particular group of people. That the Spirit of God is, is going to grow and we're going to see in Acts how he's going to fulfill what he said that we looked at last week. First, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. A new covenant, a new agreement, a new mission that is not limited to one particular group of people, but it is for all people, all nations, all languages. So in that room, the sudden power of the Holy Spirit enables them to speak in other languages that they did not know because God was up to something new. This is the new church. This is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit coming on and saying all languages, all people. It's that relationship. And now, notice, they're together in one place. There's a communal aspect to this as well. That his spirit isn't descending on one individual in the group of praying and saying, hey, it's through you, Peter, even though he does pick Peter to do the church. Notice it comes on the community. So there's this communal reality shifting from the individual way God has worked. Now the spirit is descending on a group of people, four people in every nation, every language. It's profound. And this is a scene. It's such a scene that there were two kinds of ways people saw this. One blown away and astonished that they're hearing their native language being spoken by people they know didn't know that language. Some just thought they had too much to drink. That's what kind of scene we're talking about. It was confusing. It didn't make sense to those who were gathered. So you're either blown away and you want more and you're gonna listen to this sermon that's gonna be preached pretty soon and give your life to Jesus or you're going to dismiss it because that just doesn't happen. That makes no sense. And I would argue to this day that when the people of God truly become the people of God across language and difference and all the things that typically divide us from one another, when we can actually come together, experience the suddenness of the Spirit, proclaim who Jesus is, that that same response is what we can anticipate. Some are gonna want more. What, what is happening there? I pray that people ask that all the time. What is happening at Lake Avenue Church? Look at the different kinds of people in that body. Young and old, rich and poor. 
People who follow Jesus for five minutes and people who have followed Jesus for 50 years sitting in a pew together proclaiming who God is because when the people of God actually live out this new church, it's what is demonstrating to the rest of the world who God is. It's when we can do this and be this that we demonstrate to the rest of the world who God is and what his ways are. And there will be times where we come together and people are gonna think we're crazy. They're gonna think we've just been drinking. But notice in this scripture, this observation that God has gone global. So in this new church, there's some big changes that have happening happened. One, notice, from a building, from the temple to a room and a group of people. That's significant. From, a, from, a, from an individual kind of, God puts his spirit and chooses individuals over and over and over again to, a, to choosing a community. And then a one nation God to a global God. Club 45's here. Let's welcome them. Welcome, welcome. We're glad that you're here. So do you see it? Do you see what's happening in this text that's new? And I think I can say for all of us, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that this is the way your spirit came because we are here. There's not very many people from Israel here. There might be a few of us. But because the church began in this way and there was this new church and God's gone global, we have the privilege of it being 2019 years old, 2019 and having faith in Christ. And we say amen, but I would argue to you that we have Old Testament tendencies even though we have New Testament truth. You and I live at a time of high individualism, individualism even within the church. So what does that mean? That means have your daily devotion. You need to have a person. Taught, we taught this last week. Your intimacy with Jesus is essential, but if you're not coming together and praying with your brothers and sisters, if you're not coming together to pray beyond your own individual prayer, then, then that's, that's very Old Testament-like. Or when we're hoping for the next hero of the faith, let's just get the next Moses, lead us out of this place, Lord and downplay the role that you have been given as a member of the body of Christ, as the people of God? When you want somebody to come save us, we want a king or we want a prophet, instead of owning that collective identity as the church, that's an Old Testament tendency. When we start believing that the church is this physical property at 393 North Lake Avenue, and we are the church when we are here in this building, friends, our buildings and our property are a stewardship. They're not a strategy in and of themselves. So, so I'm gonna talk in, in future weeks and months about that our building actually matters. So I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but don't mistake God's presence for being here and only here, and it's here where you meet God. It's here where we come together to worship together, and his presence is in and through us all the rest of the week. It's not just here. It's here because we are here. And then this isolationism is what I'll say because we are somewhat like Israel. Remember in chapter one, the apostles, are you gonna restore Israel? Come on, us, us. However we define us, we still have that tendency. For some, our usness at Lake Avenue Church is just our Sunday school class. That's the usness. 
or the usness of the people we sit next to, or the usness of those who share all the same exact beliefs we do on everything. That's how we define us. And there's a plurality and a beauty to community and a wideness of God's purpose and plan that crosses languages, even areas we don't even fully understand. So how do we apply this? And I I wanna offer three questions. My question for you and for myself this morning is what is our posture right now? How are we waiting together in prayer as Lake Avenue Church? And if I'm honest, oftentimes the posture that can happen in the church these days is a posture of not waiting on God in prayer but looking at other churches. Or the posture isn't waiting on God in prayer but looking to our past. It's not a posture of waiting for God in prayer, but it's a, it's a posture of looking, and if we just get this person out and this person in, then everything will be better, and God is asking us, I believe, to take the same posture of those of the, the apostles and all who were gathered, and to come together in rooms all across this church and in our homes and in this valley, and to seek him together. In fact, you will read and you will see that the final week of October is a week where we are calling Lake Avenue Church to prayer for seven days so that we can, we can do this, so that we can come together and to pray and to ask God's Spirit to suddenly do whatever His Spirit's going to do. So in October, your final week, you have plans, okay? You'll get dates because we got to come together and look at our posture together. If your posture is sitting at lunch with your arms folded across talking to your friends about what you think needs to happen at Lake Avenue Church, brothers and sisters, I urge you to not do that until you've had a posture of looking down and asking God to reveal to you what he wants for Lake Avenue Church. The second question for us today is when, in the la- when is the last time we or you suddenly experienced God's power? Do you know a suddenly God? If we're honest, we, we schedule God on our agenda and our timing. I wonder if we spend more time planning God's moves rather than having a posture of prayer waiting for him to move. LAC, this is a church full of some brilliant, brilliant people. I meet you every week, new and new. Engineers, scientists, doctors, lawyers, people who you have been wired by God to execute and to execute so well, and I don't believe, don't misunderstand, I'm not saying a God of suddenly is a God of chaos. He is a God of order, and he has given us gifts within this congregation. If you are an engineer, your ability to plan and to execute and to see it out, that is from God, and you, that is a God-like quality in you. But don't mistake your ability to set your agenda and allow that to set the agenda for God in your life. God doesn't work in your schedule. You make him a part of your schedule, but he will suddenly do what he will suddenly do. You cannot schedule what God will do. And there is freedom in this, there is adventure in this reality, and the rest of the book at Acts, we are gonna see how wild this ride is when God suddenly shows up. So my last question for you is, do you long for being a church of and for all people? Let me declare to you that we, Lake Avenue Church, are part of a global movement. 
And that shouldn't be a controversial statement. You and I are in the business. You are a part of a church that has people doing God's work in every corner of this globe, every corner of this city, every corner of this valley. We are a church. Look around. I pray that we become more and more of every language, tribe, and nation of this area. And I, I, I guess there's part of us, I wonder, do you love that part of us? Because the isolationism in me says it would be easier sometimes if it was just different. Maybe not everybody's so different. Maybe we could get five less kinds of different people here. We can control it a little better. But we are a church family that has members of all ages, ethnicities, all over, and it is amazing. I want to remind you of the mission statement of Lake Avenue Church. Maybe it will mean something new today. Maybe you've never seen it before. It says, following Jesus, we participate in God's reconciling work by making disciples of all peoples and generations. It's in our mission statement that we're about becoming this kind of church. Oh, that the Spirit would suddenly come upon us and empower us to speak the promises of God to every group of people I pray would be true. And my prayer for you and for me is that we would truly love this about ourselves and that we would long for this and that this would drive our waiting with God and our prayer to make us more like this global church family that he inaugurated and started in Acts chapter 2. See, our God takes us to all peoples on his timing and his agenda, and he moves in mysterious ways. As you know, and we're going to illustrate this whole message by commissioning our team who's going to Lebanon to bring the promises of God yet again to Lebanon. I'll ask Melinda to come up and share with us. But no, this is, this is you want to know the sudden power of God? Melinda will probably share some of this story. But God will take a vacation Bible week, school, VBS week at Lake Avenue Church, and upon our children, give them a passion for Lebanon, and that will then become our passion as a church. And we're on how many years, how many trips, Melinda, share with us this morning. today. Um, they're here because they represent um, our church family and our kids um, linking hands and the partnership and sending out to the church in Lebanon and the kids um, that are in Lebanon. So this is um, our third year going. So we've gone and um, the three years throughout VBS, the kids, these kids have been hearing about um, the church in Lebanon and the schools in Lebanon. They've um, raised money to build playgrounds, um, to do a VBS. This year we're going to do an arts camp, another VBS. Um, they have sent videos. They've, um, they've sent projects they've made. Um, this time they've sent letters that I've had translated and I'm carrying with me. So um, just wanted them to be present um, as a part of our church family sending out, like Jeff had mentioned. So if you are a part of our Lebanon ministry team, would you please come up, and we are going to commission you as a church family. I'll also ask the musicians to get ready so that we can sing. So where are our Lebanon people? Come on up. Here they come. Hi, Nader. 
Club 45, I think it would be really beautiful once our Lebanon team is up here, if you guys felt comfortable and you wanted to come forward, and we're going to ask you to extend your hand towards this team because we're going to pray for them. This is what we do as a church. They're going to go to Lebanon on our behalf. We're going to pray for them, kids, so that the sudden power of the Spirit would come upon them in ways that would declare Jesus. Amen? Come on up, kids. If you are here and you feel comfortable, if you could extend your arm as well as we commission this team for Lebanon. And then, Jeremy, I think the song you've selected that we're going to go right into is, is really our prayer for ourselves and for this team in Lebanon. All right, students. Join me in this commissioning prayer, Lake Avenue Church. Guiding and loving God, empower this team to be your hands and feet. Help them to glorify you by the way they love and serve others in Lebanon. Send them into Lebanon to do your work, your will to bring health, healing, and hope. By their actions and words, make them witnesses of your great love and your passion for rescuing your people. Protect them, teach them, and support them as they take this next step in their own journey to becoming the people you've created them to be, to fulfill the mission that you've given them. We pray for the sudden power of the Holy Spirit to enable them to do their tasks faithfully and joyfully. We also ask God that you would bring them home safe and to allow their experience to further enrich us here so that we can glorify you by serving our community in the ways they will in the love of Christ. So Heavenly Father, give them strength and wisdom and love to work for you as your servants in Lebanon. In the name of Jesus, we all say... Amen.